Welcome to the G3 Podcast. I'm Virgil Walker. I'm here with Dr. Josh Bice. How are you doing, sir? Great. Good. How are you? I, really good, man. It's a good morning, man. Yeah. Good to be up, ready, and uh, excited about a brand new week uh, that we're getting started. Um, we've got an exciting topic that we're going to be talking about. I, I can't wait, in particular, to, to engage in the subject matter with you, and primarily because there's so many facets uh, to what we're going to be talking about. The, the topic is easy believism. Easy believism. Um, as I kind of thought about this, Josh, I thought this could go a number of different directions from how the gospel is preached. You know, if, if you're into easy believe believism, you're wanting to present the gospel in a very specific way. Uh, it could take the, the turn of how believers perceive the gospel and what they're coming into. Uh, but it, it, it can also be looked at as 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 how well believers deal with and addressed um, suffering. Yeah. How do we navigate that as a result of coming into the topic of easy believism? So we're going to be covering a lot of ground. Uh, I definitely want you to you know, grab a pen. I think this is going to be grab a pen and some paper. This is going to be a very informative uh, podcast. Before we dive into that, though, I do want to invite you to come join us for the G3 conference, the national, the 2023 national G3 conference, which we're going to be having here September 21st through the 23rd. You, you hear me say it every time. It's it's going to be one of those that you don't want to miss. Uh, so join us. Go to g3men.org uh, and register. And I want to encourage you to register soon because uh, there could be a time here late summer yeah. where we're actually filled, uh, where we're actually sold out. And so uh, don't wait, don't hesitate, do that. I also want to make sure that you're aware that we've got two pre-conferences uh, that are available to you as well. Uh, the first one is the gospel and the state. Uh, that's being done by our good friends at Grace Bible Theological Seminary. Uh, Owen Strain is heading that up. They've got a number of great speakers. Speakers. A lot of great things are going to be talking about uh, regarding the gospel and the state. And then the second one is from our friends at the Master's Fellowship. Uh, they are going to be talking about courageous or rather gracious and courageous. Two phenomenal topics that you will want to be armed with, that you will want to be equipped by. Uh, you'll definitely want to be there. So if you're planning to come, uh, you're going to come in a day early. Definitely, definitely, definitely get uh, your tickets. Get registered for that. Go to, again, to g3men.org. It'll be on September the 20th, so that Wednesday. Uh, it's an all-day event. Both events are all-day events. Uh, you, I know it's difficult to try to pick and choose which one, uh, but you're going to have to make that decision and then join us. Uh, be a part of what we're going to be doing at this national conference. With that said, Josh, I mean, this this topic, the subject, easy believism, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, well, obviously, we've seen the effects of easy believism in the history of our church. We've seen it uh, in our lifetime. We have seen a massive mark that's been left upon the church, um, and it hasn't been a good mark, if we're honest. I mean, if we look at you know the history of evangelicalism in our lifetime— we have seen the the damaging mark of the church growth movement. Yes. And all of this is really being fueled by pragmatism, if we're honest. I mean, you see all sorts of different movements come along, but there's always at the core of it, there is this commitment to pragmatism. You know, if it works, do it. Right. And so however we can get the, the, the best results in terms of the most number right. coming to our church or attending our conferences, buying our books, whatever it might be, we see people making decisions based on what the culture might be saying right. that they want. Right. And that's critically important as we think about this issue of easy believism, but, but more importantly, asking the question, what does it mean 
to follow Jesus, and is there a cost to it? Mm-hmm. Is there a cost to it? Right. Because historically, you know, you can see people coming along like, so you, you'll have figures in church history like Charles Finney, mm-hmm. and he might be up there saying things, signaling things to parents in his preaching, saying that if you could just get your children to come to the anxious seat, right to the front of the church mm-hmm. and to pray for 15 minutes mm-hmm. that basically he could guarantee that they're going to be in heaven mm-hmm. as a result of that. And then, of course, that's that's really the individual that has brought a lot of the manipulative, you know, sort of techniques, manipulation, right. all of this into right. evangelical circles, SBC, uh, you know, Baptist churches at the end of a sermon, and you hear this this very specific invitation system. And mm-hmm. keep in mind, you know, I'm not against encouraging people to follow Christ. Right. I actually think we should do that. Absolutely. And I think we should do that every time we preach. Absolutely. But to manipulate people as if Jesus, as if the Holy Spirit needs help right. in finding the elect and right. bringing them out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ right. is detrimental to the church. Yeah. And we've seen it. And so this idea of close your eyes, bow your heads, raise your hand if you want to follow Jesus. If you're real serious now, stand up. If you're really serious now, open your eyes. If you're really serious now, move to the left or move to the right. Right. Pray this prayer after me. And come to the front. And now if you're still really serious, now I want you to repeat these words, pray this prayer after me. Right. And then they pronounce upon them that they're actually saved. Mm -hmm. And so... We have seen the effects that this type of thing has had upon the church, and it's not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, we need to ask ourselves, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Is there a cost to it? Yeah. And in order to do that, I want to talk about a parable that Jesus used as he taught in his earthly ministry. We find this parable in Mark chapter 4. We also see it repeated there in Luke chapter 8. Mm-hmm. And it's the parable of the soils, or as some call it the the parable of the sower. Right. And Jesus tells the story about a sower who goes out into the field and he broadcasts the seed and it the seed landed upon four different types of soils. Uh, the one was the hard path, mm-hmm. the other was the rocky ground, the other was the thorns, and then the other was the good soil. Mm-hmm. And it was only the good soil that brought forth fruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the others obviously had their own challenges to overcome. The the hard path would have been the path that people would have been walking next to the field, so the sower is getting close to the end of his row, and before he turns, or or sometimes the, the, the pathway that would have connected maybe uh, that specific village to another village or whatever would have crossed a farmer's fields, and so he would have been walking up a path that had been cultivated a row that had been cultivated, and as he's broadcasting the seed, some of it would have landed on that hard path. Mm -hmm. Some of it would have, on the edge of the field, would have landed on the rocky ground. Mm -hmm. Others would have landed there uh, near the thorns. And then some landed in that row that had been cultivated by the farmer. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus tells the story, and then immediately his, his disciples asked him, what was the meaning of this story? <laughs> right, right. And then he unpacks it. Mm-hmm. When he gets to the second soil, the, the rocky ground, he, he talks about that. And, and I want to 
read to you what he says there as recorded in Mark chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, as he's explaining. He says this, And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Well, obviously, the story was that, um, you know, obviously, when some of the seed landed upon the rocky ground, that the sun would rise and it would scorch the seed that landed on the rocky ground Uh because it did not have moisture. It did not have soil. There was no depth of soil that would allow it to, you know, root and then eventually bear fruit. Uh And so when Jesus unpacks the meaning of this story, this parable, he basically Uh, speaks about the fact that tribulation or persecution arises on account of the Word. Yes. And the Son is illustrating the the tribulation and the trial that is coming upon those who would believe. Right. And so, um, and and then the tragic result is that at the end of this uh, section here, he says that they fall away. Yeah. Now, obviously, we know from the full counsel of God's Word, right. theologically speaking, that you can't really be truly saved and then fall away. Right. And we have verses that illustrate this for us and teach us the truth about the fact that all true believers endure to the end, all true believers will persevere in the faith, right. and yet uh, those who go out from us, First John 2.19 yeah. says, we're not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us, but they went out from us that they might be made known or that it might be manifest that they were never truly of us. These are this, this category would be kind of like a, and I think you you'd mentioned it d- during a d- during a sermon. You talked about the unbelieving believer, right? Right. This is somebody who uh, who while claiming to hold on to belief, really is unbelieving. It's one thing to make a to, to to make the distinction or to make the statement. I believe something. Yeah. It's another thing to have to walk that out, walk out the consequences of that belief, and right. and and endure persecution. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so when we think about the cost of following Jesus, we could talk about this on so many different levels. Mm-hmm. We could talk about the fact that, you know, when you become a new creation in Christ, that the old things are passed away. Behold, all things are now become new. Yes. That there are new affections. Yes. So obviously some of the, the lifestyle changes mm-hmm. that you once engaged in are now going to be shifting and changing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes friends, it affects the the depth of your friendships. Yes. Because the closer you are to Christ, obviously you're going to be, you know, a part of the community of Christ. You're going to yes. be a part of a local church. Yes. And that's where really the majority of your time is going to be spent. So it's just natural that your closest friends mm-hmm. will be within that context of, of you know, the circle of your life. Of course, yeah. You know, and so um, obviously, if you're spending time with unbelievers who have a different worldview, they have different commitments, different affections, then naturally speaking, when you're called out of darkness into the light of Christ, then you're going to have a different life, a different lifestyle, a different worldview, different affections. You're going to spend your time differently. So it will impact your friendships. Yes. There is a cost. To following Jesus. Yes. But 
specifically for this conversation, we want to focus in on what it means to follow Jesus even through trial yes. and tribulation and persecution. And we, quite frankly, specifically in America, in the American context, mm-hmm. we need to be prepared for what that looks like. Right, right. I think the little you know, test that we might have received recently, you know, in, in the past few years related to COVID-19 right. and, you know, the, the government basically trying to condition us to be sheep and mm-hmm. to just fall in line and do whatever they say that we're supposed to do. Yes. We need to be mindful of what that looks like historically. Yeah. yeah. And, and what does it look like when you have a really big government that can then impose things upon the church. Yeah, absolutely. When you look at that and think about all that, that that entire process and how Christians dealt with it, uh, there were Christians who said that they were going to, you know, Caesar's is, is is God, and if Caesar says that that churches are to be closed, then then it they they conformed Scripture to say, well, loving your neighbor now means yeah. right. Loving your neighbor now means what government says loving your neighbor means, uh, rather than looking at the text of Scripture and recognizing that it is Christ who is Lord over the church, uh, and he's the one in charge. I think that's just one facet of what's of what's coming. In addition to that, I think the reality of why that was so easy for government to do, and, and, and whether you, I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any stretch of the imagination, but at the same time, it, you know, it, it really served to test how, how much we are willing to follow what government has to say. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, Christians really, I think, are, we're devoid, unfortunately, of a doctrine of suffering mm. that allows us to withstand the test. Uh, we've watched easy believism have such a large impact on evangelicalism uh, to the degree that if we're, if there is any pushback, the knee-jerk response to that pushback is, well, we must be doing something wrong. Yeah. That's the natural process that people end up engaging in. I, I remember being out on street corners preaching the message of the gospel, and more times than not, it wasn't unbelievers that I would get the pushback from. Uh, it would be believers who would you know, stop their car and get out and walk over to me to tell me I was doing it wrong. Um, you know, I, I, if, if I was sharing a message about, about sin or, or about the need for repentance, you know, I was doing it wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and I think all of that is an outgrowth of the, of the lack of a, a doctrine of suffering, the, 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 the pragmatic approach to the to proclamation of the gospel, yeah. all of those things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I can remember being at the Super Bowl when it was here in Atlanta, and I was out with a group of friends who were doing you know, sidewalk evangelism, and I'm sharing the gospel. There's open-air preaching happening, and there's just, you know, thousands of people walking by. And occasionally, of course, you have a lot of people heckling you sure. and trying to say things like, you know, yep. what you were mentioning yep. at the abortion mill or whatever. Yep. Yep. But occasionally you would have someone that would come up and say, look, I'm a Christian too. Yes. You know, and then they would start trying to engage you. Right. But then you would say, okay, well, then take this gospel track and then give it to someone inside the stadium. Right. And they would say, oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I don't I, do it I, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so it's just, it's just odd when you start thinking about when you're really put to the test. Right. Like, what will you do? Right. And, and, and again, I think that, as you mentioned a moment ago, I think it served to demonstrate the sincerity of a lot of believers mm-hmm. or the lack of sincerity mm-hmm. and the lack of health in a lot of churches with the whole co- you know, yep, COVID-19, COVID-19 yep. and, the, and the, you know, the, the government imposing its you know, uh, rules and regulations right. upon right. the church. Right, right, absolutely. And so, um, again, uh, if we start thinking about this parable— Jesus said that they fell away. Mm-hmm. 
So again, it's the it's the it's the um, unbelieving believer believer the, the, yes the yes. believing the believing unbeliever. Unbeliever. Right, right and so when you start thinking about it from that 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 vantage point right the believing unbeliever is the one who says intellectually i believe this right but they're not truly in christ and they they have no root they're not bearing fruit and so when they're put to the test when tribulation or persecution or trial comes then what happens is they fall away the sun scorches them. So in other words, when they're brought to a place where they say they have to count the cost of following Jesus, they would then say, you know what? I'm all good on that. Yeah. Because if it's going to cost me that, or if it's going to cost me my life, or if it's going to uh, you know, create pain in my life, then I'm going to go the easy path. Mm-hmm. I'm going to turn away from Jesus, mm-hmm. and I'm going to walk back to the world where there's comfort. Right. And right. there's freedom for me to just kind of avoid all of this difficulty. Mm-hmm. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book titled The Cost of Discipleship, and this is what he said in the book, and I think it's really good. He says, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. He goes on and says, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. And then this is what he says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Now, that is critically important because that's exactly what Jesus says, right? Mm -hmm. If anyone would come after me, yep. if anyone's going to be a follower of me, yep. what does he say? He says, let him deny himself yep. and take it up his cross, cross and, and follow, follow me. Right. Right? Right. So the the instrument of a cross in that culture was not this comfortable thing. It was an instrument of suffering. It was an instrument of shame. It was an instrument of execution. Mm-hmm. And so just just the, the sight of the cross in this culture— would have would have in your mind it would have signaled pain yes it would have signaled you know death it would have signaled all sorts of things mm-hmm. and and shame obviously and so we need to think about what it means to actually follow after Jesus Christ and to be prepared for the suffering that could potentially come our way mm-hmm. in the coming days in America yeah. now yeah. again i know we could talk about eschatology all day long and we right. could talk about what that looks like right. But honestly, as I read the scripture, I see Jesus preparing us for suffering, yeah. uh, and I see Paul preparing the church for suffering. I don't see Jesus or Paul preparing the church for Christendom. Right, 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 right. I see. I see that we're going to go through difficulty. We're going to go through pain. We're going to be tested. It's going to be difficult before. Christ returns. We're even seeing that in, in in a very practical way, Josh, with people who are uh, who are being employed by by large corporations and companies. Um, you know, where every time, everywhere you turn around, someone is going through some social justice type training. Uh, where th- there's the the absolute embrace of the LGBTQIA plus agenda, uh, people are having to come to the point. Especially, you mentioned COVID earlier. People are coming to the point where they're having to make clear distinctions about what I believe and whether or not I'm willing to pay the price of saying, you know what, I I don't know that I'll be able to work here, uh, or I'm going to have to find another job, or I've got to look for other means by which to 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 take care of my family. 
Uh, so those are those are real issues. That those are rubber meets the road issues where what you claim on Sunday is actually being played out during the week, uh, and 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 real decisions are having to be made. But 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 again, that's not something that's dimin that you know that 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 tension is not diminishing. It's actually increasing. That's kind of what we're seeing. Yes, it absolutely is increasing. And so, no matter where we turn, we're starting to see these pressures that are being placed upon the church. Sometimes individually, as you were mentioning, at, at your place of employment, but oftentimes just collectively, right? You know, just pressure that's being placed upon the church, and you're starting to see the 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 equation really, in many ways, in our culture, is being placed against us rather than for yes, us. Absolutely, oh, absolutely. And, and yeah. so we need to be prepared for what this looks like, say, twenty years from now. I mean, in our own lifetime, mm-hmm. you and I can attest to this. We have seen. The, you know, the culture changed drastically in terms of the culture's view of the church. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we yeah. can see how fast yes. that has changed. Even in the last, say, decade or more, mm-hmm. things have started to speed up, mm-hmm. and we need to be uh, aware of that, and we need to be preparing. I think we need to be preparing the church to, st- to, to stand fast and to be steadfast, immovable in the faith when the persecution comes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be a tragedy for us to come to church and to spend our time on the campus of the church on a on a regular basis and not be talking like this to the children and the grandchildren that right. are sitting there in the pews right. and not be talking to this next generation that's you know coming up you know coming up in the life of the church. We need to be preparing them with honest conversations about the the culture's response to the gospel. Mm-hmm. At what the culture believes about the church, mm-hmm. how the culture really views us, mm-hmm. so that we can prepare this next generation instead of like hiding under the pews or else turning away, as this parable says, and then walking away from Christ, proving that they were never truly in Christ. Right. We need to have these conversations that's, and that, preach that, these sermons. That's obvious when you look at what's happening to, to young people at, at, in the school systems. Yes. Um, there's an uh, the 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 agenda that's out there, the leftist Marxist LGBTQIA plus agenda that's out there. They're not patty caking or sugarcoating their message in any way, shape, or form. They are intending to to uh, to, to to push forward this idea of que- the queering of your children. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they, they make no bones about that. Uh, at the same time, and you know, where, where we are in a lot of, not where we are, but in, in a lot of evangelical circles, we're, we're still popcorn and pizza and, you know, having a, having a good time at, in youth, in youth camp, you know, yeah. we're not really walking out ha- addressing these, the, the onslaught that's headed our way and, and, and our next generation. We, we've got parents who don't have proper answers to some of these biblical issues, much less their, their own children. So if the parents don't have those answers, the children are, are left really uh, with, without, any, without any opportunities and hope if we're yeah. not careful. Yeah, I mean, you think about Vody's book, Family Driven Faith, and in, in the mm. book he, and this is again a few years back now. Yes, yes. He he puts out these troubling stats that seventy to eighty eight percent of everyone who grows up in the life of the local church, mm-hmm. in in the common evangelical circle, mm-hmm. going through the youth group, going through VBS, yep. going through all of these programs within yep. the church, yep. and then they go off to the university, and then by the end of their freshman year of college, they've walked away from the faith. Right. right. So there's 
there's some sort of testing that's happening in that sphere, mm-hmm. and they're falling away, they're proving the yeah. that the church has not preached a sufficient gospel in many ways. Correct and prepared these individuals for the day of testing and the time of testing. But what about persecution and trial and tribulation? I mean, you know, it's one thing for you to walk into a lecture hall on a university campus at a state school and have a perverse, you know, professor stand in front of 300 students and mock Christianity. That's one thing. Right. It's a different thing for someone to walk in with a gun and hold it to your head and say, you either reject and deny Jesus Christ or I'm going to pull the trigger. Right. It's a completely different scenario, and we need to be preparing our children for both. Wow. And and I think, honestly, if we are honest— the landscape of evangelicalism today is not doing an adequate job to prepare the next generation for suffering. As you stated, it's not pizza and cotton candy moving forward. There is a real enemy. He's playing for keeps, and we need to be preparing the next generation. In fact, we need to be preparing the present generation for what's coming our way. If we look back at church history— we can remember, again, so many people have gone before us who have suffered. You think about someone like a John Bunyan, for instance. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I have uh, a book here, The Selected Works of John Bunyan, that I'm going to read uh, here from in just a moment, just to kind of give us a little taste of the depth of this man. Mm-hmm. But Here's a man who's preaching the gospel so faithfully, so boldly, uneducated metal worker. Uh, hundreds of people would assemble in the early hours of the morning before they went off to work to hear the man preach. And yet they, they would put him in jail, and they would say, well, if you'll just agree to these terms, you can go free. And what were the terms? Well, you just have to be silent and stop preaching this gospel that you're preaching. And so he refused, and so he would stay in this jail for 12 years. Now, um, he had been married. His first wife had died, and he had, he had shortly been married to his second wife, Elizabeth, and he had four children, the oldest of which was blind. And so he's given over the care of his children to his young, new wife, their stepmother, and was not in their lives for 12 years. Mm-hmm. Now, they could visit, but, you know, Dad wasn't present. Right. She was caring for the children. Right. And she would even go before the accusers and before the authorities and plead for his release, passionately so, which just reading Elizabeth's words is, is it's just a wonderful thing to yeah. see her steadfastness. Yes. But, but if you think about men like Bunyan, he proved himself to be a true follower of Christ. Yes. Because when the day of testing came, he said, I'll go to the jail in, in Bedford, England. I will stay in the jail. I will, I will not turn my back on Christ. And that's the type of, that's the type of sincerity that we need to have. Yeah. 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 If you think about stories like that, whether you're reading, you know, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs or or, uh, Bunyan's work or uh, any any of the church uh, leaders that have gone before us in in church history, you're you're struck by their steadfastness. Um, And then in light of what we deal with in our day where 
uh, you know, a, a Twitter spat causes us to kind of crumble in the corner. Um, you know, <laughs> there's, there's no comparison, but, but, uh, you know, we, we've got to, we've got to definitely be much more bold and, and hearing stories like that from, from Bunyan and others really, really should cause us to be just more empowered, more, you know, more excited about, about a stand for Christ. Yes, absolutely. Jesus warned in John 15, 20, he said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you have the early inner circle of Jesus that understood that very well. Yes. Because if you read the account of these individuals in the Fox's Book of Martyrs and in other accounts from church history, you will see that they actually did experience this this persecution. Yes. James, the brother of John, is recorded in the Fox's Book of Martyrs. It was approximately AD 44. And and he writes the following. He says, again, this is James, the brother of John. James was led to the place of martyrdom. His accuser was brought to repent of his conduct by the, by the apostles' extraordinary courage and undauntedness and fell down at his feet to request his pardon, professing himself a Christian and resolving that James should not receive the crown of a martyr alone. Hence, they were both beheaded at the same time. Wow, wow. Thus did the first apostolic martyr cheerfully and resolutely receive that cup which he had told our Savior he was ready to drink. Wow. Again, powerful words if you think about what is stated here of, you know, this whole scene, you have James being brought to the place where they're going to, you know, basically sever his head from his body. Mm -hmm. And you have the accuser that's there and seeing his willingness to go to the extreme of dying for Christ Mm -hmm. and for the sake of the gospel. He himself is converted and then decides, you know what, Um, I'm going to... I'm going to change my position on this. And they said, okay, well, if you've changed your position on this, now here's your day of testing. You're going to have to suffer the same death that he's going to suffer right now. And he was willing to do so. And he was went right beside James, and both of their heads were severed. It's an amazing story. Unbelievable. But again, we have to ask ourselves this honest question. When Jesus warns of persecution, and when the Apostle Paul would say the very same things and warn of persecution, was that only for the, the inner circle of Jesus, right? or should we be prepared to suffer as well? Yeah. And again, you can see all these individuals from the inner circle of Christ being crucified, being uh, you know stabbed with spears, and you can just see their testimony one after the other who were willing to go to the, to the very end mm-hmm. for the sake of Christ, including Paul, who had his head you know, severed there in the streets of Rome. He was beheaded for following Christ. Yeah. To the point you made earlier, I think there was a time uh, within church history, at least that, that it was a, it was clearly understood that following Christ had a cost. Yes. Um, You mentioned the inner circle. I I was looking at uh, John Calvin who, who writes this. Um, It's the idea of the understanding that, that, we pay a price that we're engaged in an actual battle. Um, he, he writes this quote, the, the life of a Christian, it is true, is a perpetual warfare for whoever gives himself to the service of God will have no truce from Satan at any time. He will be harassed with incessant disquietude. That man, therefore, is mistaken who girds himself for the discharge of this office 
and is not at the same time furnished with the courage and bravery for contending, end quote. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not only the idea that I know that my decision to follow Christ has a cost to it, but I also recognize that I don't have to muster this, this bravery on my own, that the Spirit of God who indwells me is able to help me to, to manage, to navigate. I'll have the grace to, to navigate those waters as they come. And so we're not relying on our own strength. We're relying on the strength and grace of God. And as we do, the, the greater experience of, of, of the grace of God is something that, that we see and feel and, uh, and are a part of. I, I cannot fathom the, to the story that you read, coming to a, a, a knowledge of Christ, uh, an understanding of the gospel, and then immediately turning around and saying, yeah, you know what? Since I have, that means enough to me for me to be willing at this point to give up my life. Absolutely. It's powerful. J.C. Ryle said it this way, let us often ask ourselves whether our Christianity costs us anything. Has it the true stamp of heaven? A religion that costs nothing is worth nothing. That's good. It's a powerful statement. Yeah. Because if your Christianity costs you nothing, it's worth nothing. In other words, are you really denying yourself? Right. Are you really giving up anything to right. follow after Christ? Is the world really for you or against you? Mm-hmm. Now, the interesting thing is in this parable, uh, as Jesus illustrates this this rocky ground, the soil that receives the seed but doesn't have the depth of soil to allow it to root and bear fruit, and then the sun rises and scorches it. Again, the sun is is there, is uh, illustrating that of persecution and trial, a, a time of testing, uh-huh. as is recorded in Luke 8. But the interesting thing is, is it states that that individual received the word initially with joy, uh-huh. and it remained for a while. Uh-huh. But then when the sun would rise and scorch the seed, it would fall away. Right. Okay. The interesting thing is, is that that individual would receive the word of God, the gospel, mm-hmm. initially with joy. Right. But when trial comes, they have no joy, so they leave Christ to go in pursuit of some sort of trivial joy that the world offers. Mm. But this is what James says in James 1, verses 2 through 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing so in other words the point that james is driving home is that if you receive the word with joy the true christian when trial comes and persecution comes when this comes into the life of the true follower of Christ, then that individual will then continue on and persevere in steadfastness right. with joy. Right. Not leaving Jesus to go look for joy, mm-hmm. but seeing that even in the midst of the fire, even in the midst of the flame, even in the midst of the prison cell, even in the midst of the difficulty of trial and persecution, mm-hmm. that Jesus is enough. Yeah. 
and that that individual can experience joy even in the midst of such situations. That's critically important. To see. That's incredibly important. You you hear about these kinds of things as people in as, as believers, as Christians, as true Christians endure some of the most horrific situations. Whether it's the circumstance of a, of a death of a child, uh, or or a situation of some some great sickness or illness, mm-hmm. uh, where because of the fact that they're in that fire, uh, desiring to to be on the other side of it. In the very midst of it, they understand and experience joy because they they know that that they're connected to something greater than themselves. That's right. They're not looking at, at an outcome. They're looking at even through the process, they're connected with Christ. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so, again, we just we have so many people from church history that have gone before us and you know, we stand upon their shoulders and we see their examples. We talked about Bunyan, we talked about the inner circle of of Jesus, but then you can go beyond into to church history. And you see individuals like William Tyndale, who you know brought us the English Bible. You can see his apprentice, John Rogers, who finishes the the Old Testament that that Tyndale wasn't finished with. Right. And then, uh, according to church history, he was burned at the stake. Rogers was, but it wasn't for the translation of the Bible, as it was with Tyndale. Interestingly enough, it was because. John Rogers refused to embrace the doctrine of transubstantiation. And so he was led to the stake. He was burned there at Smithfield uh, on the outskirts of London. And he was the first martyr under Queen Mary I, Bloody Mary. And so we stand upon the shoulders of these individuals. Again, I was recently in... Uh, in Tennessee, actually, I was uh, in Tennessee. In fact, we were both there. Pigeon Forge, yeah, yeah, Pigeon Forge, yeah, yeah. 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 So we yeah. had a good time, and yeah. you know, sometimes when I'm traveling, I, I I will look for bookstores and I'll look for places to go to, and I'll think, okay, well, if I see a Christian bookstore, right. usually it's so shallow, it's not even worth the gas to drive <laughs> across town to right, to, right. to walk in the doors. Right. So I had uh, done a little search and and found this Tennessee Bible Museum. Right. So this is a shout out if you're if you're traveling to Pigeon Forge, you're in that region, I would really encourage you to take the time to visit the Tennessee Bible Museum. Yeah. I walked in the door. So this was this wasn't a uh-oh, I got it. Yeah. This was one of those like I told my wife I was going to travel over there and take a look at it. Scott Annual was with yep. me and as soon as I walked in the door, I took about two steps in and stopped and I said we should text our wives and let them know we're going to be a minute. Wow, wow. This is so good. That's good. Uh, shelves of books from church history, all in various categories. And so immediately I look to my left, and there's the Reformation area. And, you know, you start to go over there and look at this this entire, you know, section of the bookstore that's organized to house the the, the era of right. the Reformation. Reformation yeah. And so I start, you know, picking these books off and looking. And the cool thing about it is a lot of antiquarian books, and you can not only look at them, but you can actually purchase them. Mm. And so, again, this is a dangerous place for me to go, right, right, honestly, right, right. for the budget. <laughs> right, right. So I found some books I wanted to purchase. I found um, an early copy of uh, The Religious Affections by Jonathan Edwards and some other books. But this is a a really cool book from the late 1800s, and it's on uh, the martyr's graves of Scotland. And so this tells the story of the, the individuals who were persecuted for their faith. And so you have the story of the Covenanters there in Edinburgh. You have... 
this this again i've i've traveled there on several occasions we're going to be taking a tour there yeah, yep. coming up in in october First reformation tour yeah and so if you want to find out more information about that tour you can you can certainly go to our website you can find out more information we only have a couple of seats available yep. at this point yep. so i would encourage you to to hurry if you want to go with us but there's this the northeast corner of this cemetery the the Greyfriars cemetery there uh, on the outskirts of edinburgh you have um, what's called uh, the the monument for the covenanters and you have these individuals that were standing against uh, the the false teaching of the day, and they were protecting the gospel. Specifically, they were Presbyterians, but they were placed in in this prison cell that was basically a walled-up, grassy area where they were exposed to the elements. Mm. They were only given a, a small portion of bread per day. They were starved. They were tortured. They were tried for treason. And they were executed, and some of them were buried there. Others would be placed on a ship. It's a long story, but uh, that ship would uh, suffer shipwreck, Mm -hmm. and uh, many of those people would actually die at sea. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about the the lives of those individuals who have gone before us, Mm -hmm. how they have suffered, they have been tortured, Mm -hmm. they have been executed, and for what reason? Because of their unwillingness to embrace a false gospel. And we need to be thankful for the fact that these individuals have demonstrated faithfulness and perseverance in the faith. They did not demonstrate that they were merely the seed that had been received as as it were on the rocky ground. Mm -hmm. And when the trial comes, they're they're willing to turn their backs on Jesus. They did not do that. They were steadfast in the faith. And so these brothers and sisters demonstrate that as well. Again, we also have John Bunyan was mentioned earlier. This is uh, selected works of John Bunyan, and um, again, I, I was able to purchase this at that, that that museum. That's amazing. And I I just want to read, if I may, just some 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 things that Bunyan would would tell us uh, at the very end of his life. And if you go to uh, the end of this this book here, you have Bunyan's final sermon. Obviously, you have the Pilgrim's Progress is what he's known for. Um, but you have here the dying sayings of John Bunyan. Wow! And so, if you just if you look here uh, and and see what the man was was saying as he died. Now, again, you know he's already demonstrated his faithfulness to Christ. He was in prison for twelve years and that sort of thing. But here's here's the way the man talked. When he was dying, he said, uh, Sin turns all God's grace into wantonness. It is the dare of his justice, the rape of his mercy, the jeer of his patience, the slight of his power, and the contempt of his love. Mm. I mean, if you just you just you just think about it, here's a man who's dying, and this is the way that the man is talking to us. He goes on and says, um, Take heed of giving thyself liberty of committing one sin, for that will lead there to another, till by an ill custom it become natural. Mm. So here, here you have a man who's not only demonstrated steadfastness in the faith, in his preaching ministry, and he's imprisoned for preaching the gospel, refusing to be silent, but also in his dying moments, he's he's saying, uh, 
You need to be warning yourself against sin and, and allowing sin to be something that's natural in you. And, and again, I just, I just find great comfort in these, these men who were men of substance, mm-hmm. and they, they proved themselves to be sincere. Yeah. They persevered to the very end in yeah. the faith for the glory of God. And so we have so many accounts. Mm-hmm. Fox's Book of Martyrs, I mean, again... Um, I remember when uh, I, I preached a couple of years ago in chapel at the Master's Seminary, and you were with me, yep. and we, we went up and we, we were looking at some of the historic books that they have there in the seminary library and, and on display in actually inside the studio uh, of the MacArthur Center for Expository Preaching. Yes. You have some really, really cool things, and in there is an early copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs, right. really large uh, book and yep. and if you just open up and start to to turn the pages, you come to some illustrations yeah. that Fox has. Yeah, you took in, pictures in of that. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's it's unbelievable to to see how these these believers were tortured, mm-hmm. how they were tortured for following Christ. Um, we need to be prepared for the day of testing. Yeah. And to persevere in the faith for the glory of God. That's a stark contrast. What you just shared as we walk through this uh, and taking the time is a stark contrast to the prosperity message and the prosperity gospel that's that's been so prevalent in our current culture, and that unfortunately we've taken from here and 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 uh, cause it to go around the world. Right? Uh, they've in, they've imported it into parts of Africa. I know our, our, our buddy Justin Peters does a phenomenal job of in his ministry. Does just a phenomenal job of of dealing with the issue of the prosperity gospel. Yeah. Uh, it's incredibly helpful. I think about this particular text of scripture as it relates to uh, the issue of suffering, a doctrine of suffering. As, as Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, the, the, the letter's known as, as, as a letter about joy, his joy, great joy that he has. And, and we see even in the, in the very first chapter where he, he's undergoing persecution and suffering and the gospel's being preached and people have their own motivations for preaching the gospel. But he's there and, and excited that that message is going out even as he's enduring great suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes to the very last uh, verse in that chapter. Uh, he says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer yeah. for his sake. Yeah. Uh, those are the kinds of things that we need to be reminded of. And I, I think taking the time to walk through what we did is incredibly helpful, beneficial, especially for us as believers, uh, to think through and to have a, a doctrine of suffering and understanding of persecution that we not be tempted into, into walking into easy believism. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. exactly right. As, as we kind of begin to wrap things up, Josh, any, any kind of closing thoughts or final words about the, these issues? Yeah, I would just uh, encourage pastors to take seriously the the post that God has called you to the pulpit, uh, and to take seriously discipleship and to prepare every single person that's under your care to be ready for the day of testing. So that you know, if if called upon mm-hmm. to 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 be tested today. Mm-hmm that every pastor would have been able to go to sleep well at night knowing that they have prepared the sheep that belong to God to be ready for the day of testing. Also, I would just encourage any of you fathers that are watching this podcast or listening to this podcast, I would encourage you to take seriously you know, what it means to disciple your home and to prepare your 
wife and to prepare your children or perhaps even your grandchildren to stand fast and to to, to remain immovable in the faith for the glory of God. Because again, uh, Paul does give us this warning in 2 Timothy 3.12, again, it says that anyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And so we need to be prepared for that day. Again, uh, I think that the church should be a wonderful, joyful community. Right. I think we should laugh. We should have fun together. Yeah. I think we should you know, enjoy one another's company. Mm-hmm. I, th- there's nothing wrong with having fun. Yeah in the context of the local church's community. We do a lot of that here. Yeah, Yeah. but I think that we need to also take seriously what it means to follow Jesus and to count the cost because, again, to follow Jesus is costly. We need to be prepared for that. It's a good word. It's a great reminder. Uh, I'm I'm encouraged uh, as a result of, one, having prepared for this, but also the consistency of the teaching, whether it's you or or the other elders uh, here at Praise Mill, constantly reminding us of of disciples discipling our children, uh, discipling our our wives, our our household as well, uh, ensuring that we're prepared for that day. Uh, at the same time, there's t- tremendous joy. It's not a ho-hum, you know, we're waiting for, for you know, something to happen that's bad, but we are prepared yeah. uh, in the event that it does, uh, and, and while at the same time enjoying the, the absolute joy that is ours in Christ Jesus. Sure. Uh, so it's with that that I'm hopeful that you've been edified uh, by this edition of our podcast. I'm going to encourage you to like, subscribe, to share, tell everybody about the podcast. Uh, use this as, a, as an opportunity opportunity to to engage in in future discipleship with those that are around you. Great references as far as books were concerned and resources uh, that you can can, uh, check into and leverage and uh, that will be helpful to you. Uh, It's with that that I'm going to thank you for joining us for this edition of the G3 Podcast.